Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Control Port Podcast, episode 185. I'm Benjamin Yoder, here today talking about video games, and I feel like we have a good, diverse set of topics today. I don't know if I talk about this much on the podcast, uh, but one of my greatest um, <laughs> feelings of satisfaction when I look at the content I make is if um, it ends up wrapping in things that don't necessarily seem like they'd fit super well together. I mean, I, at the end of the day, this is all video game talk, right? But like whenever I go to my website and it's like, hey, one one tab is like a military shooter, one is like a, you know, obscure PC 98 game or something. I've only done one, so I guess I can't say anything like say that we have a ton of that content. But I like seeing like a good variety of stuff. Um, I don't know. Something about that makes me happy. I guess, I guess not like feeling like I want to pit myself into like one particular topic and that and if I have a good variety I feel like it means that I am I'm being true to like trying out a lot of different things in games rather than just having like an entire page full of like here's a bunch of PlayStation obscure PlayStation 1 Japanese games that I imported from Vink or something right (laughs) I think that's my greatest fear is like my entire web page will just become that um because I'm like well this is what people want from me but yeah we'll we'll see um I'm, I'm doing a little bit of thought in next year on like maybe how to expand the the view of the channel a little bit. I don't think it'll really change too much of what type of content we're doing, or at least not regularly. It might end up being where we have some more outward-reaching content, but I, I wouldn't want that to be the focus of the channel. It'd be more of just like a way to hopefully like bring more people in to look at the other stuff that we look at, because that's what I'm interested in. I don't really want to be a channel where I'm just like, hey, man... Do you ever play the Wind Waker on the Nintendo GameCube <laughs> or something like that, right? So, 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 yeah. But it's, you know, just to kind of get a, a, a quick overview of what I've been playing recently, um, I, I, I don't think I talked about it too much last week because we ended up talking about Back for Blood a bit. But uh, we did play a good chunk of Left 4 Dead 2 this week. We actually spent two nights playing Left 4 Dead 2, so we made, made a good chunk of progress in that. Um, and I'm definitely, I feel like the controls are, are growing on me. If you, if you haven't been on the podcast before, I talk about Left 4 Dead. Um, you know, it's something I've only recently started playing and I kind of felt like the controls were a bit loose in a way that I think the game didn't feel good. But after spending, I think at this point we're like about 20 hours into the game. I th- I feel like it, it feels right for that game. I, I think it gives a bad first impression personally. Um, but but yeah, like I feel like as time has gone on, I've definitely come to come to find that the the the, the quick reaction time on the controls is is kind of important for that game. I, I do think there is something that could be done to add some satisfaction to like killing zombies in that game. I feel like zombies um, just don't really react to your gunfire much, and also when you're shooting them, it doesn't like feel particularly impactful. So so it does feel like that there is something missing there. But I do think that like the, the fact that you do have that those looser controls and things like that, I think helps a lot. Um, th- I guess the one thing I, I th- would say I think could be improved even with the looser controls is just like the zombie dying animation. A lot of times it's really unclear if a zombie's dead or not. I, I really can't tell. Like they'll they'll still be stumbling around a bit. I'm like, are they just in a dying animation? Are they actually stumbling towards me? Uh, yeah, I mean like unless you're like completely blowing their head off with like a headshot or something, it's just just like I I don't know. Um, I feel like it can shoot their legs off too, and I don't think I've ever seen any crawling zombies in that game. So I wonder if that's like a 
a uh you know aim for the legs so once the legs are gone you can you can know for sure they're 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 not gonna be coming for you kind of thing i i wonder if that works at all but i don't know anyways still just left for dead 2 i mean i assume most people in the world have played some left for dead 2 um so i don't know any, if i need to really go too deep into to any other additional thoughts we're still in left for dead 1 content i guess i should say not left for dead 2 content um, Left 4 Dead 2 includes Left 4 Dead 1, um, or at least a modified version of Left 4 Dead 1. I, I don't know how true it is to that original Left 4 Dead. I'm kind of interested in trying out the original Left 4 Dead to see how different they feel. Uh, but the group I'm in did not seem particularly fond of that idea. They're like, oh, Left 4 Dead 2 is only an improvement kind of thing. Sometimes, though, sometimes I'm weary because, like... I remember a long time the narrative of like Castlevania Legacy of Darkness on the 64 was like, this is just Castlevania 64, but improved. It includes those original games. That's not true. Uh, I mean, it definitely includes Reinhard Schneider and Carrie Fernandez from the original Castlevania 64, um, but it is an altered um, 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 level design layout in a way that I really think affects the structure of that game. Also, there's a lot of changes to how characters kind of feel and move in that game as well so so i'm always a little cautious about that that's part of the reason why i want to check out white knight chronicles 1 rather than play white knight chronicles 2 which has white knight chronicles 1 content in it but reworked into the white knight chronicles 2 uh game mechanics like no no i want to play white knight chronicles 1 <laughs> um i i keep i've been talking about white knight chronicles a lot recently it makes me worry that i might get that game sooner than i than i would like i i mean really my my current goal is unless i'm streaming an rpg focus on xenoblade chronicles x because i want to get that thing out of the way if i'm going to play a jrpg so that that is my sole jrpg goal right now um and there's a couple other things i want to clean up i want to try to finish up um the final fantasy 15 comrades content and i need to go back to fatal bullet and do that that excess dlc but anyways like i all that aside, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm always kind of interested to see what the original version of something is, even if they like say we improved it and put it in this other release. So, and then people are like, "Well, that's the only one you have to play now." It's like, well, not necessarily. It could be that the games handle things different ways. But again, I have not played Left 4 Dead One, so they could be nearly identical or, or a straight improvement. Um, I also played a little bit of Jet Girls last week. It's been a while since I played played Jet Girls. Uh, I took a, a break for a few weeks just because I I had a lot of other things going on, and then one week I just simply forgot. And I was like, oh, whoops, I missed it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so I played a little bit of Jet Girls. Um, right now, I think, so the, the person who organizes the PlayStation 4 stuff, uh, they do it like in a league. So it's like a tournament kind of thing. That's kind of an ongoing tournament. Um, and I think right now it's 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 in between leagues. So so there's only like two other people playing. So I'll, I'll be curious to see once the league starts back up, I think in January, um, if we have the same number of people. Because before when I was last playing Jet Girls, there was probably about eight or so people that were, were playing at once. Um, so so I'm curious to see if that population cups, kicks back up or if because those tournaments aren't being organized anymore, if it's going to be a, a smaller group of people from, from now on. But I'll, I'll probably go ahead and uh, put some time in tonight as well. I'm recording this on a Saturday, so I got time to, to go ahead and play some of that this weekend. Um, and I'll probably, when I'm like, maybe when I'm rendering out this podcast, I'll record it because, or I'll uh, play it because I don't need to record any footage of Jet Girls. I got, I got plenty of Jet Girls footage on my on my PC. <laughs> in terms of single player stuff, though, I put a little bit more time into Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. And I think the big takeaway I'm having with Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine on the Nintendo 64 is that is a game with a lot of variety. It reminds me a lot of Castlevania 64 in a lot of ways not only in how it controls to some extent although they are very different in how they control but like 
maybe maybe the precision that it asks for for from the player is a, is a bit more demanding than other games. I feel like, um, um, and and. The, but the big thing is, is that it really has a focus on variety. Every level kind of has a different um, approach to it. Some levels are more action oriented. Some of the levels are more platforming focused. Other ones are just like, you know, either a bunch of little puzzles throughout a, throughout a dungeon or like one giant puzzle that all kind of fits together. And I think that kind of, you know, change in level design per level is like a pretty cool thing. Um, I, I am finding that there's just a lot of things in that game that it's re- either really hard to see it, um, like because, you know... It's a Nintendo 64 game, so you know the, the graphics are are pretty muddy and blurry at times. There's also a lot of very dark environments in the game. So there's like one part of the game where I was just stuck, and it's because there was a key on the floor that I just literally could not see, um, and I and I was able to find. I had to go look up a guide or something. So so you know there are resources to figure out what to do in Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine, and I try to consider that fact when I talk about these games. Of like you know I could complain about being stuck on this key or whatever for an hour or something like that, but at the end of the day. You know, there there are resources to help you, kind of thing, right? Same thing with like I can't the PCFX game, um, where like yeah, that game is a little uh, uh, obtuse in a lot of ways, and I'm, and I'm straightforward about that. Like, hey, this game's pretty obtuse, but there are resources online to help you find that information. So there's definitely ways to enjoy the game, even if you have to bring in like an external resource into it. So um, that game's still really finicky, though. There's a lot of times where it just does not feel like they thought about the fact that you're in a 3D environment. Um, like, there's just like sometimes you'll walk up to something and the collision's just really weird and like indiana jones will just start you know sinking into the ground as you walk into it and things like that um and then other times it's just like i i literally almost soft locked um i put the video up on twitter uh, because i i jumped behind a pole and on the other side of the pole there's a uh, uh slope but the slope you couldn't stand on you could only slide down it so when you slid down on the slope and right into the pole you were stuck there and because you were considered moving you couldn't actually pause the game you couldn't jump you couldn't anything so i was basically literally stuck the only thing that helped me out of that situation was uh, a soldier walked by and saw me and then started to shoot me so i eventually i was able to die um and then i was able to continue um that game's ge- pretty generous on checkpoints and things like that um but the big thing was is i hadn't saved for a while and i was, wasn't sure if the checkpoints save after you like restart the game or, or if it was like a more of a temporary thing so I was, I was a little worried that i was gonna lose a bunch of progress uh but thankfully i didn't because that soldier came over and shot me <laughs> so so that was that was nice um i think i'm about two-thirds of the way through that game so so i hope by the end of this year i'll, I'll have finished up that game um and, and we'll probably just do like a typical casual review I, I i like the game a lot but i don't know if it's really resonating with me in a way and that and i have a lot of other featured reviews i have planned right now so i'm not really looking for a game to kind of um do a more expansive uh video on right now that's not to say that's not to say that something won't happen right like billy hatcher i was not intending to do more of a featured review on that but it just kind of happened because of how i felt about that game by the end of it all so so yeah uh, also been playing a lot of ridge racer ds still I, I played a little bit on the stream a while ago that was when i just kind of first started i think i had only finished one race before i did that stream 
Um, and I did very poorly on that stream. Thankfully, I've played a lot more and I've gotten better, but I'm still very bad at it. <laughs> um, um, so I went ahead and went through like this typical track. So like basically, I think there's in Ridge Racer DS specifically, there's three different area types and then there's different levels of those area types. So they have different orient like layouts for the maps, but it's the same areas and a lot of the parts of the tracks are kind of reused. Um, and I think there's like three or four layers of that. And then after that, you get the credits. I guess you considered our you have beaten the game because you've played all the main tracks in the game. Uh, but then they give you like a mirror tile style, uh, uh, you know, mode where you can do all the tracks in reverse basically. Um, so I've been working on that and I'm on the final race of that mirror style mode, but Oh man, is it hard? The, the last race I was able to beat, um, it took me an hour and a half to finish that race. Uh, thankfully you don't have to do finish all the races, you know, in a row. Um, you can just keep retrying the race till you get first place, but unless you get first place, it does not count. So I'm on the, the final race that I need to do. I have gotten very close to coming in first race, but our first place, but I have not actually, uh, been able to complete it yet. So there do seem to be two additional tracks and I think those are maybe unique tracks. I don't know if that's unique to this particular game. If you don't know, Ridge Racer DS is a, um, as far as I understand, you know, this is based off like the Wikipedia, um, is a port of the 64 Ridge Racer. Now I was kind of curious and I looked up some, uh, some gameplay for Ridge Racer 64 and I feel like those games, what I'm seeing for what I'm playing and what I'm seeing with people playing Ridge Racer 64, I think they handle very differently. I also think that it might be slower, but that might also just be a need to go back and kind of like look at the earlier cars in the game and see what their speed is like. But but I feel like the games actually feel pretty differently. So I wonder if it's just like a similar track set, uh, but maybe mechanically they're, they're different. Unfortunately, I don't own a copy of Ridge Racer 64, so I haven't been able to check it out. I was going to check out, so I have a PlayStation Classic, and um, I thought Ridge Racer 1 was on the PlayStation Classic, but apparently not. Uh, I, I really want to try to take some time to compare to Ridge Racer 1 and see how close um, Ridge Racer DS felt to that. Uh, you know, Ridge Racer DS uses a D-pad. I mean, you can't use the touchscreen for analog steering, but, you know, I'll get into it probably in a casual review, but the analog steering in that game is not great, unsurprisingly. It's like, it's, it's basically the equivalent of trying to use, like, the touchscreen for analog movement in Super Mario 64, um, which is rough. Um, but anyways, so so it uses the D-pad, so it's very similar to that original Nintendo or original PlayStation game where I imagine the 64 game is probably using the analog stick for, for, for steering, so you have more dynamic range of movement. Um, and... And so I was hoping to check that out, but unfortunately, that Ridge Racer 1 is not on there. Uh, Ridge Racer Type 4 is, and I put that in for a second just to kind of look at it and get a comparison, and I'm not sure how drifting works in that game. It feels very different from Ridge Racer DS. Um, I think I might have been drifting, and I, I it would have, it was like, instead of like a, a slide around the corner, it was more like a quick cut. Um, when you come so so it felt more like you know slamming on the brakes and turning almost so I don't know if that was actually drifting I looked at some uh, a long play online who played through like about six hours of the game and they seemed to be doing the same thing I was with where I was just like you know slowing down and doing a quick cut around the turner or corner rather than actually drifting so I don't know if I'm missing something there um, and that person who did the long play also was missing something or not so yeah I might I'm kind of curious to know more about the original Ridge Racer and kind of how they differ because I feel like what I'm seeing in the PlayStation footage and the 64 footage out there um, differs from what I'm seeing in the Nintendo to Nintendo DS game. And the impression I get around the, like how those games are portrayed is that Ridge Racer one is like the, I think it's an arcade game originally and Ridge Racer 64 is like an enhanced port. And then Ridge Racer DS is, is not so much an enhanced port, but like an, 
a like slight expansion, a port, more of a straight port, but then like maybe some things added on and then also some DS specific stuff added in. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong in that perception. I'm very ignorant when it comes to the Ridge Racer series. I don't even know how many games there are. I know there's a game called Rage Racer mainly because there there's uh, music from Rage Racer and Wii Ski uh, on, on the Wii. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'll, I'll be curious to see. I, I, I feel like I'm, I have an interest in seeing more of Ridge Racer, which is not something that I really would usually expect um, to have an interest in. I don't know. I don't like I, I, the one thing I'll say about Ridge Racer is that I don't, I don't get the same charm out of it that I do out of like a, a Sega racing game. And I think a lot of that really comes down to the music. I think the Ridge Racer music's a little underwhelming, but I like that like blue skies, like rolling star kind of thing with uh, Daytona USA. Um, there's also like Metropolitan Racer for Dreamcast that has a really good vocal tracks in there too. There's a bunch of Sega racing games with like some really good cheesy music that I that I like. And so to hear Ridge Racer just be kind of more straightforward music. There's a couple songs I do like in there, but you know, it's it's fine, I think. At least in Ridge Racer DS. Um, one other thing I want to talk a little bit about here, even though it's typically something we talk about later, is uh, in the Industrial Spy Operation Espionage. The reason why we talk about it later is that that's the game I've been streaming. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and take a break from streaming that for a bit um, for a couple of reasons. One is I got some other plans, which I'll, I'll talk about at the end of the podcast. The other thing is, is that um, I... I I think that game might be longer than I anticipate, so I wanted to kind of take a break from it stream-wise and then come back to it, just to, especially since that game is kind of a little a little challenging to stream, I feel like. It, it, I, I don't know if those are good streams or not, to be honest with you. you like People who have come to the streams, you would know better than me, probably. But but I do feel like it's it's at times a little hard to keep keep direction straight and everything like that. Like I, I feel like it's something that you really need to be focusing really hard on and I don't know if a stream environment for that has been has been an amazing <laughs> amazing experience for that I'm still really enjoying it though I'm having a great time with it um the big question I have is that actually I I think I brought it up on the podcast last week I I imported the or not imported I I purchased the uh U.S. strategy guide for that game in hopes of finding some unique art unfortunately there's not any unique art in the 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 American version of the strategy guide um, but I did kind of try to flip through that and kind of look at the, the, um, guide a little bit because I am having to use a guide in that game from time to time because of how, how difficult some of the sections are that if you look at the last stream, I basically made zero progress because that game, uh, that, that particular level was just really dense and hard to, to kind of manage. Um, but in that strategy guide, they actually list out 10 missions in the guide where if you go to the game facts page, there's 14 missions. So I'm wondering if you only do 10 missions, but there's 14 missions to choose from um, because you can kind of choose which missions you want to do at the beginning of a mission. So I'm wondering if it's not as long as I expected. So we might actually have kind of a shorter stream or set of streams up around the game when I come back to it, depending on how things go. Um, but, but yeah, I am enjoying it though. It's, 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 it's a nice looking game, like aesthetics. I, I really love the aesthetics. I like the concept. I think the characters are really fun. They all have their little quips. Uh, they're a bunch of like, you know, kind of, uh, like spies and stuff that have their own personalities. There's not a ton of dialogue, but when, when a character talks, I think it does shine through, you know, kind of who, who they are and things like that. And, and they have their own like little verbal quips and stuff uh during gameplay that i think is really fun so i am enjoying that game but it is not super user friendly it takes a lot of time and and there's also just some things like 
Um, because you're kind of choosing areas from a menu rather than like pointing where people should go on a map, uh, it's very hard to um, kind of keep straight where how to get to certain areas. Like sometimes you'll unlock a door and you just don't know how to enter the room because you don't know what's on the other side of that door. And if you look at the map, it may not always be super clear what's on the other side of that door. So it's hard to choose, you know, choose. How, it would be easier if you could like pick a spot on a map or even just tell a character like, hey, enter that door or something like that. I think there's things that could definitely be improved in the user interface element of Operation or Industrial Spy Operation Espionage. One other thing I did, though, is I did go ahead and import the Japanese strategy guide. Um, I was able to find it, thankfully, despite there only being like very blurry pictures on um, uh, uh, the internet about it. Um, and so I went ahead and imported it. It wasn't that expensive. It was about as much as I paid for the American one. So it was about 20 bucks. But the cover art for it is unique art. So I'm hoping that means inside the inside the guide there will be more unique art as well. Um, I think it is somewhat useful to do this because um, there's not a lot of uh, industrial spy operation espionage assets out there. Um, there's if you look at the back of the manual uh, for for the the American game, uh, there is like uh, some different types of concept art they show, but they're like in little like you know stamp size thumbnails. So if I can find larger versions of those, that'd be really cool. And if it's in that guide, I I definitely am interested in that. I, I like the aesthetics of the game a lot, so I think it's definitely worth that. If there's stuff in there is worth getting or worth scanning, um, go ahead and scanning it and then uploading it. And then I could also use that as assets for you know when we eventually do the casual review, I can use that as like a, a, a YouTube thumbnail, or I can also you know, for the streams as well. Although I don't know if that man, that guide will arrive before the stream, uh, streams continue. We'll, we'll, we'll see. And then at the end of that uh, stream, I also played some mountain sports. I don't think we'll talk about mountain sports in any additional capacity outside of this podcast and that stream. Uh, I talked about mountain sports a little while ago, uh, in context of we ski and mountain sports is, um, basically more of a mini game collection where we ski is like kind of a, um, open world, you know, skiing game. Um, Oh, it's basically like you choose a, a list of events from from a, a grouping of things on the screen, and then you just you do a variety of things like skiing, snowboarding. Uh, there's like this weird raft thing where you can raft down the mountain. There's curling in there, things like that. Um, and it's it's a strange experience, I think, because it's I think it's pretty clear it's shovelware for the most part. Um, but it feels like shovelware that had some heart in it. Um, mainly because there is, you know, it's not a great aesthetic as somebody who, who typically likes Japanese style things. Like, like I definitely like how whiskey looks kind of thing, even though it, I think some people might look at it like that looks generic. Um, but I like how whiskey looks. This game looks kind of like, um, I don't know. It, it, it definitely looks like something that was aimed at kids in like the, the late two thousands kind of thing. Uh, early 2010s, just, just aesthetically, it's like, it has a weird amount of detail in, in its characters, but it's somewhat cartoonish with like somewhat exaggerated features. Um, and if you look at the box art, the box art looks nothing like the game. <laughs> um, um, but the, the actual in-game visuals, um, but, the, but I think there, there's an attention to detail to the models. I think the game has kind of a clean look to it. It's, it's, it kind of looks good. It's, it's weird. It's, it, it, it's got a look to it. It's maybe not technically impressive. It's a bit more dense than we ski in terms of like the type of like uh, objects and stuff kind of floating around. Um, but it looks like somebody put real effort into the graphics of the game and visuals. The game itself 
is fine. It's it's a bunch of mini games, right, on the Wii. So, you know, it's a mix of of jumping and and button inputs. I'd say some of them are a little more overcomplicated, I think. Like like when you do the ski jump, it's really weird. You have to like hold down the one button, use the D-pad to move like this cursor into a circle, and then you have to swing the Wii remote up, which makes you jump, and then you can do tricks, but you can do like Full tricks by holding the one button and pressing a direction on the D-pad, or you can do grabs by holding down uh, just a direction on the D-pad kind of thing. And, and it's a little a little complex for some of these these sports, I feel like, in a way that that maybe seems like a bit much for how how little you have to interact with them. It's a very short game. We beat it in an hour. Um, I was able to get, you can get like gold, silver, bronze medals. I was able to get mostly all the gold medals on that first hour. Um, and then the last five gold medals I got about 10 to 20 minutes afterwards, after the stream, I just went ahead and sat down and uh, and then kind of finished out those gold medals. So uh, unlocking the gold medals didn't get you anything. It's just, you know, hey, you did it. You get like a little, you don't even get a marker by your character, but you can open up like the achievements of, uh, section on your character and see how many gold medals you have and as far as i can tell there's no real extra content in that game there is multiplayer but it seems like it's all kind of the same stuff you do in the single player so you know maybe that's a fun experience in a multiplayer setting but uh i don't know i mean one thing i I noticed about the multiplayer is that i think it's all um i forget what it's called um where where you have it or like you don't all play at once you can like all play with one controller and it just like switches between you and given that game for some reason runs at like 15 frames per second rather than rather than like an a, a solid 30 or anything like that um maybe maybe split screen would have been too intense for it um but it seems like you kind of take your turns to do mini games so it probably is not that much different than the single player experience other than the fact that you can you know pass the controller around uh more easily and you know have different characters and get different rankings and things like that so um it's a little it's it's a lot of shallow it's 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 it's, a, it's something that you like i think is not bad if you're gonna pay like anywhere between like one to even maybe up to ten dollars for it it tends maybe a little high but if you were buying this you know on on a you know shelf back in the day and if it was like anywhere between like 30 and 50 bucks that that's a high price for essentially an hour worth hours worth of game content um at least in the way that like you know i feel like we sports or something like has legs right where where there's kind of a lot of depth to what you're doing and there's like a lot of very good attention to details in in how those games control where where mountain sports just feels like more of a traditional um uh mini game collection and and the, the the wii remote controls are not amazing they don't really utilize those controls in a way that feel great where where something like wii sports you know even though the controls are not amazing at tracking they do a lot of things to kind of trick you into thinking that that the game is doing a great job of tracking what you're doing so so yeah it's 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 a video game it's not the worst video game ever played it's not the greatest video game I ever played but it is developed by the developers of curse mountain on the wii which is a, a, a survival horror game on the Wii. If you haven't played Curse Mountain on the Wii, you should look into it. Um, I, I haven't done any content on the website recently about that game, and anything that I have done is probably old and bad. Um, but Curse Mountain's really cool. I would like to talk about Curse Mountain someday, but I don't want to replay old video games as much as I have been. I feel like I've been playing a lot of, replaying a lot of old video games, seeing Xenoblade Chronicles X, and having to get more footage for Valkyrie Revolution. I think there's something else. I had to replay The Wizard of Oz Beyond the Yellow Brick Road. Like, no, no more of that. I want to play new video games, please. Please and thank you. Um, real quick before we get into the news here, um, I did go ahead and get a package from, from, uh, the My Nintendo website. Like I said earlier, they've been offering physical rewards. So I went ahead and got some Christmas cards to, to use when I send out some packages here. Um, my, my Christmas gifts are going to be too late. Like this, this is Saturday before Christmas. It's not, 
it's not happening. But you know, they'll get it eventually, right? <laughs> um, but in 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 when I ordered, I was I was kind of browsing around Nintendo's website because you have to pay like five dollars shipping. So it's like, well, might as well see if they have something something of interest that I want to uh, pick up. And one thing I saw, and I don't know how long these have been sitting around for, are these like uh, battery attachments for the Joy-Con. Um, essentially what it is or what the intention is, is that this is a battery pack that you connect on the Joy-Con, um, and you put like double A batteries in it. And when you do that, it kind of adds some extra bulk and heft to the Joy-Con. Um, and I don't, I don't play games long enough usually where I need like the double A batteries. I mean, it's a good option to have, but the big thing was when I, when I saw this was, you know, it's a first party Nintendo accessory and it adds heft. And one of my biggest problems with the Joy-Cons is just how kind of small they are. They're like little hockey puck controllers. You know, they don't have great feeling buttons. Not that this kind of resolves that. But, you know, it, this this little battery pack on here gives you like a grip um, on the controller. I feel like you don't have when you just use it on its own. Um, I didn't play a ton of games with this yet. So it's probably going to take some time for me to get some actual impressions of using this but i did kind of poke around in super mario odyssey and i think it really did help um i, I i'm a big fan of the wii remote and nunchuck i love that like one-handed controller experience or like separated handed controller experience and the nunchuck and wii remote are really good fits for that they just like have really nice ergonomic designs your hands just kind of fit on them they have uh pretty nice clicky buttons the wii remote is maybe a little more blocky than i think some people would like but i think it works pretty well you know, it fits around your hand really nicely kind of thing. Where this Joy-Con pack thing doesn't really um, mimic that per se, uh, but it does It does offer, you know, some extra extra foundation for you to kind of hold the controller that, that I do like. The one thing that I really have not liked so far, and I, I could get used to this, is um, the Joy-Con's uh, triggers... Uh, they kind of float just above the battery pack. So when you're holding onto the, the, the controller with the battery pack on, um, there's this kind of extra bit of plastic in the front here that um, doesn't let you, uh, that doesn't have a trigger on it. So it feels almost like you're missing a trigger on a controller in some ways because the, the shoulder button and trigger are kind of crammed up at the top where the Joy-Con is. So I kind of wish they had some kind of like uh, trigger extension and ultimately... Honestly, these things are built to fit a battery pack, so they they are not the most ergonomic thing, or, or AA batteries, I guess. They're built to fit in uh, batteries. So it's not the er most ergonomic thing, because the ultimate goal is to put AA batteries in this thing, so you can charge it while you're playing games. Um, so it would have been nice if they did something that was just like, hey, these Joy-Cons are small. What if you want something that just feels good to grip, and they, they made something like that? And I know there's like 3D printed things, options on the internet, but... I don't know, whenever it's like something like that, I, I do worry about like, you know, the material and, and comfortable comfort and things like that. Um, where where with like a first party one, you know, generally I, I say this all the time that I trust Nintendo with hardware, but I would not say that I will have loved um the Switch hardware um or the Joy-Cons. The the Pro Controller's fine. Um and I would not say I love the 3DS hardware either, to be honest with you. The Wii U gamepad grew on me over time. I, I didn't like how big it was initially, but as I started to play more games on it, I think that heft is kind of nice. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense given the type of controller it is. I don't have a Wii U Pro controller. I kind of like the idea that analog sticks being on the top of both sides of it kind of thing, similar to the Wii U gamepad. Um, but, but yeah, 
I don't know. We'll see. I'll, I'll, I I will probably play something at some point, and and the next time I play like a game, I will probably use those Joy Cons instead of a Pro Controller just to kind of see how it is. I might also move my Switch to move it closer to me. It's it's less than five feet away from me, but my Joy Cons disconnect all the time, and I've also purchased new Joy Cons, so I don't have my launch Joy Cons anymore, or as close to launch as I. I bought it around the time Splatoon came out. Is basically when I when I got it. Uh, Splatoon two came out, so so you know that it's not launch, but I think it is within that window where the original Joy Cons didn't connect super well. Uh, I replaced them with the purple and orange set. And uh, unfortunately, I still have issues with them staying connected to the Switch. So maybe if I move it like right beside me, like literally like less than a foot away from my kneecap um, where I'm sitting right now, uh, maybe that will help. So we'll, we'll, we'll give it a shot, see what happens. Woo, we are 35 minutes in here, and I haven't even jumped to the news, so we'll try to make these quick real quick. Admittedly, I don't think I have a ton to say a lot about some of these. Actually, I have quite a bit to say about this first news story, and that's Final Fantasy XI mobile, uh, the mobile game. If you don't know, there was a Final Fantasy XI, um, a set of Final Fantasy XI games. I think it was under the, the project name, uh, the Vanadeel Project. And this was announced a while ago. I think it was five years ago at this point, where they basically said, hey, we're going we're gonna to kind of kickstart Final Fantasy XI game or Final Fantasy XI again on mobile with the kind of the intention of the original Final Fantasy XI was going to, I think, putter out on PC. They even kind of like ended the the story of that game. They're like, hey, here's the final story of this game, you know, and I, and if you talk, if you, if you talk to, um, if you like listen to some of the, uh, the digests that they put out there from the, um, from the staff, it seemed like they were kind of operating on a six month basis. And then every six months they kind of reevaluate of, okay, where are we at? What can we do? And do we need to shut this game down in six months because it's not going to be profitable enough? And it's it's been kind of in that state for a while. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not somebody who's greatly involved in Final Fantasy XI, so I don't want to speak too much for what the status of that game's been. Um, but the one thing that's kind of changed since they announced this mobile game, which is like, it's supposed to be like an HD remake of Final Fantasy XI, um, is, even though you can run Final Fantasy XI HD, but it's a, it was a, a, kind of a, a full kind of overhaul of the game to be like a mobile MMORPG. Um, but what kind of has happened since then is that the base PC version of Final Fantasy XI got pretty successful. Um, they they have more recently been kind of expanding the scope of what they're doing. They've been adding more story content back in. Uh, they said their subscriber base has been pretty um, steady. I think they've also brought a lot of people back into the game. And I think people don't necessarily... Are, are are subscribed all the time but there's kind of like a steady flow of people coming in and out i think is is what my understanding of how that's that's been working and so they've been a lot more ambitious with what they're doing with the core final fantasy 11 um there's also another mobile final fantasy 11 that came out uh called uh grandmasters which i played a little bit of and i actually enjoyed quite a bit um but that shut down a, a couple years ago i think at this point so so this other final fantasy 11 mobile game has been kind of lingering and I don't know if development hell is the right word, but it's been kind of lingering in the background. There hasn't been really any updates on it outside of some, I don't know if they're really leaked screenshots, but there are people who had job listings where they showed screenshots of the game. So we got, we got kind of a peek into um, what that game looked like. And it sounds like it's basically just not going to happen at this point. Nexon was developing it. And it, it sounds like the reports out there are, is that they finally decided to cancel the game and to go focus on other things. Um, this was probably a good move. I, I, you know, I'm not a mobile game expert. I don't know the MMO market on mobile, but 
as somebody who loves Final Fantasy XI, um, I do feel like the audience for Final Fantasy XI is a little limited um, because I feel like a lot of it is really based off of who previously played Final Fantasy XI. Um, and, and, you know, there was definitely a lot of people who played Final Fantasy XI over the years, but, like, at the most, I think they had, like, 500,000 to 600,000 concurrent players um, at once, essentially. So, so you know, it's I think it's a pretty... It's not a small audience, but it is a, it is definitely a smaller audience compared to I think what you would need for mobile to succeed, a mobile MMO to succeed. So, you know, it would have been a nice kind of like reset point I think for some people if they wanted to check it, dive in and check it out. And I think when we start thinking about the long-term preservation of Final Fantasy XI and, you know, making sure that that series is represented within, you know, Square Enix's official, you know, product line, um the, the, the kind of return back to focus on the PC version of the game may not be the greatest option for that. But I think based off, you know, how things have gone over the last couple of years with, with both, um, you know, Grandmasters and also I think a variety of other Square Enix mobile games that have kind of come and gone, um, I, I think it's probably for the best that, that they kind of focus on the PC version of the game, at least at least in terms of, like, if we're talking about short-term success, that and since the PC version is being successful, you know, why kind of try to replace it? Um, at this point. So, you know, we'll see. I think the, 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 the future of Final Fantasy XI is interesting because it's so uncertain at the moment, um, of what's going to happen with that game. Um, but it seems like Square Enix has been happy enough to keep people on board, um, and, and, and working there, uh, on, on Final Fantasy XI. So, yeah, I don't really have a ton to say other than this is probably expected, uh, after how long this game has been, uh, delayed. So, you know, it would be great if we were able to see this in some form, um, but, you know, I don't, or or have it even maybe, you know, some of the concepts maybe get pulled into Final Fantasy XI. I highly doubt that's going to happen, but, but you know, I would love to see more of this and what it, what it looks like, and, and I hope in the future we can get some, even if it's just, like, leaked footage of, of what they were working on rather than just, like, the handful of screenshots that we ended up getting. Uh, a couple of quick other news stories here. Uh, the Valus series is coming back. I don't know anything about Valus, so I was kind of surprised. Well, I wasn't surprised because of this. I mean, I, I just just don't know anything about Valus. That, that was the statement I was making. <laughs> um, uh, other than it's like anime girl game from from 16-bit era where where you're kind of, a I think, a schoolgirl and you like transform into like a sword-wielding kind of warrior, um, usually kind of skimpily clothed and 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 go and fight things um but yeah I, I always thought that the series looked kind of uh fun and interesting it maybe looks a little plain in a lot of ways but it's the kind of game I, I i think i should go back and check out at some point whether that be the turbo graphics version or the uh the like super nintendo version i feel like the turbo graphics version had cutscenes with voice acting so i personally would probably prefer that versus like the super nintendo version but i think it's cool that they're bringing it back the last time or kind of the big thing that i think was was known about this game was that the or the last time this came up it was kind of a big news story was when they put out a um a 18 plus visual novel i believe about the game i never looked into the actual game i have no idea maybe it's something more expansive than that but but people always kind of made fun of it i think because of that uh, not that I'm going to make much of a commentary on that. Cause again, I don't know much about the game and, and I definitely am not of the mind that just because 18 plus or the game's 18 plus it deserves to be the butt of a joke. Um, but <laughs> you know, it's interesting that they had that, that game come out, like I think in 2006 and then now like, you know, 14 years later, we're like, okay, here's a new Valis game kind of thing. Um, or, or at least a remake. I, I, I don't 
think that they've said if it's going to be like a remake or or a, a republishing of a previous game kind of thing. But I, 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 I like that kind of aesthetic and style in that time period in games as well. So uh, I think it's cool it's coming back. Whether I'll actually check it out or not is kind of another thing. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is uh, Battle in Wonderland. They put out another set of trailers just kind of going over some of the uh, kids, which I, I think each kid kind of, you know, feeds into each world in terms of like what the world is based off of. Well, they're not all kids. One's like a farmer dude. So, but the majority of them seem to be kids um, from, from what I recall, or at least they look like kids kind of thing. Um, one being like an inventor and they, they are just like messing up all their inventions. One being like an environmental person, like she's in a forest and they get bulldozed down a bunch of trees come up. Um, and the last one is something about this game and like animal relationships with people uh there's a girl that finds a kitten and the kitten gets hit by a car in the trailer <laughs> it's just like oh boy <laughs> um if you don't know the last one the dolphin like attacked a girl like one of the dolphin friends of a girl attacked her and then she's like in a hospital bed crying with the dolphin picture ripped up or something on the floor it was like oh man this is this sure is uh <laughs> a story um, I think the biggest thing I took away from these more recent trailers, or really like media dump in some ways, because a lot of them were like screenshots and art and things like that, is there's a lot of power-ups in the game, it seems like, and I think I wouldn't necessarily be too concerned about that normally, uh, especially since like Super Mario Odyssey, I think, did a pretty good job of handling, you know, each, like having all the good variety of stuff you can do in like each world and like making sure um, you know, you, you, as a developer, you're making sure the player is interacting with those elements only as much as they need to, rather than, you know, stressing them to like play an entire level with this power up. And then that power up is just not as polished as the rest of the game. So it just kind of, you know, comes off as, uh, <laughs> frustrating. Um, but I, it made me think back on Billy Hatcher, which, you know, I'm writing that video right now for that. And just like how, how much excess there is in that game in terms of power-ups, eggs, pets, um, hats, things like that. There's just so much stuff in that game. And it did make me a little nervous about Battle of Wonderland of just like, I hope these power-ups all have a purpose. I kind of hope they're restricted to individual worlds so they can build worlds around those power-ups because there's a lot of things in Billy Hatcher, which is also done by Yuji Naka, or at least he was part of the project. Um, um, there's a lot of things in that game that just feel like a lot of stuff just to be stuff. And I really hope Ball in Wonderland um, avoids that and has stuff with a purpose. I think that's important with a lot of video games is, is, is something with a purpose, like world, world space for a purpose. If you, if you just have stuff just to exist and be there, like it, it's not always bad. You know, somebody who's a fan of Shenmue, like, yeah, sometimes you don't need to drink a soda can, but it's there and you want to drink it and you're going to watch where you just go like... <laughs> That was a noise. Oh, man, I don't like that I made that noise. We're going to leave that in, though. Um, <laughs> I was trying to make, like, drinking noises, and I just, like, I don't know, sounded like I was choking on something. <laughs> Anyways, um, but, uh, like, I definitely think that for most games, like, having world space with a purpose, having having power-ups with a purpose is, is better than just creating something and saying, ah, the player will figure out how to have fun with this kind of thing. Personally, as an old man, I say that, so... Anyways, that's all I want to say about that. Whew. 
Longer podcast than I expected it to be. I was originally having some trouble finding content for this podcast, but apparently I found plenty enough to talk about. Um, in terms of what's coming up next, like I said, we'll be taking up or taking a break on Industrial Spy Operation Espionage, so it's going to be a couple weeks off that we won't be playing that. So what that means is for the next two streams, we're going to be doing two things. Uh, one stream is going to be on Christmas Eve. Uh, it's the same you know date and time as usual, 7 p.m. Uh, on Thursday. And we're going to be playing the Silvery Peak, um, uh, like an ice climbing RPG. I, th I think it's called the Silvery Peak RPG or something like that. Um, or I think it might be like literally like the Tozan RPG. I don't know Japanese well enough to say what that means. So, but uh, yeah, we've played this before on the channel a long time ago. I think it was during the Thousand Arm streams, which is like the original streams I did. Um, and I didn't really know what we were doing. And I still don't really know what to do in this game. But I want to set a goal of figuring out what we're doing. I'm going to try to scan the manual, translate it um, with machine translation. And so hopefully we get a good idea of how to complete the game. And if we don't, we might have to do some on-the-fly research to try to figure out what we got to do to beat a mountain. Worst case scenario, if we are just like straight up stuck and don't know what to do and we're like an hour into the stream, just like this is an awful stream, um, maybe we'll switch over to something else. Maybe we'll play more mountain sports. I won't subject you guys to that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, and then after that, um, some of the people in the, the stream chat were mentioning wanting to play Super Smash Brothers. So on uh, Christmas Eve, or not Christmas Eve, uh, New Year's Eve, um, which is also a Thursday at 7 p.m., so, you know, standard stream time. Um, there, we're going to play uh, Smash Brothers for Wii U and then transition over to maybe Smash Brothers Ultimate at some point as well. Uh, I think we're going to start with Smash Brothers for Wii U because uh, there's some people in the group of the chat who, who only have that one. So so we'll start with that, play some Smash Brothers. Um, I don't think we're going to pipe in anyone's, like, voice audio into the, the stream just because I don't really know how to do that properly right now. That's something I need to figure out in the future probably, but... Um, not at the moment. So it'll probably just be me talking on stream. If you want to hear me, uh, you know, make a bunch of noise, I guess. <laughs> I feel like a game like that, I'm not going to have a lot of great commentary. Um, but anyway, so we're going to do that. And we'll we'll either play Smash Bros. the whole time. Or if we decide we want to switch to something else, we can we can switch to something else. And then after that, we'll get back to Industrial Spy Operation Espionage. In terms of video content coming out on the YouTube channel, uh, last week we had the Whiskey and Snowboard uh, casual review that went up. So if you want to know my feelings on that game, my, my big grief feelings on that game, um, griefing feelings, I guess, I... I did not love whiskey and snowboard. You can go check that out. I also linked the original whiskey video in that video because I love whiskey. So if you want to see me be positive about a Wii game, about a whiskey game, then uh, you should check that video out instead. It's not a review format. It's a quick play. Um, but, you know, I like that game a lot. It's a really fun game. Um, whiskey, whiskey and snowboard, you know, not so much. Um... And then also, uh, I have a Tomodachi Collection casual review going up uh, on Wednesday. So uh, go ahead and, and check that out if you want to. Um, just kind of breaking down my thoughts on that game. And then, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Thanks for coming. OneControlBoard.com is the website. And uh, this is the week before before Christmas, so I won't speak to you uh, until after that in terms of the podcast, at least. So if you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. Somebody came in the stream and mentioned, like, celebrating Hanukkah. And I'm like, I, I li literally do not know when Hanukkah is. Sorry, I am not. <laughs> I am not. Uh, I, I've not paid attention to Hanukkah. That's not anything wrong with Hanukkah. I don't mind you coming and asking me. I'm just like, I don't know. I'm, I'm a dumb man and I don't know holidays outside of the the good old Jesus Christian holidays. <laughs> Just because that's what I grew up with, right? I'm not sitting there like, oh man, what is that? Hanukkah's a Jewish holiday or something? Oh man, Jewish holidays. I don't like them. No, <laughs> I don't know anything about them. Uh, it, may, it may not even be Jewish. I don't even know. 
don't listen to me. I don't like, I kind of am pretty sure it's a Jewish holiday, but because I don't know for sure, I'm questioning it. So I made it sound like I don't actually fully know. That is my, my default stance is if I, I, don't, I don't fully know, then I will just feign ignorance, basically. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's a Jewish holiday. Anyways, let's stop talking about Jewish holidays on this stream. But yeah, enjoy your holidays, whatever you end up celebrating. Uh, and then next week, we'll we'll chat a little bit. Um, and then I'm going to try to have some kind of content out for, for the new year. Um, to try to talk about what we're doing uh, in, in 2021 or what my goals are. Uh, I kind of have way too many goals right now, so I'm not sure what we're going to do about that. Hopefully narrow it down. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Anyways, that's it for this week. Bye.